Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. I am joined, as always, uh, by my co-host, Maggie Park. Um, and today we are going to, well, one thing we're going to do is we're going to, we're hoping uh, to finish discussing uh, some of those Empire Magazine images that we began discussing last time. Um, but also today is a fun day because today is the first show at which we can say more than we could say before. We're allowed to talk. Uh, we're allowed to talk about um, uh, some of the other things, um, the things that we can now now talk about are more of what the showrunner said. So you may remember when we came back and we told you guys about our London meeting with the showrunners before, um, we were able to give you our impressions, right? I was able to play the game of like, how do I feel about this topic or that topic after this discussion? But we couldn't say anything specific about what they said. We can do that now. So um, I the first thing I would do is just invite you guys to ask questions ask questions again Line because yeah not, not, you ask again the questions we couldn't answer before anything you want to know and anyway, i can't promise we can answer everything now the one thing i will add we're still not allowed to talk in detail about the footage that we saw so we can't we can't tell you more about that now it was it was what it was like 20 minutes like it wasn't yeah. it's not we didn't see like episodes or anything like that so um but anyway but we can talk about other things and there's not as much to talk about with that, to be honest. Like, I think our impressions yeah. that we told you about before of like, uh, it was fine, but I don't know what to make of it. It's still true. You know, I think yeah. the conversation with the showrunners is way more telling. For sure. For sure. Yes. Okay. Which King, that's exactly the first thing I was going to answer. Um, which quote made me tear up. Yeah. Okay. So I'll tell the story about what, like, uh, what made me tear up when I was listening to them, uh, uh, listening to them talk. They were talking about the characters uh, and and sort of the, the 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 development of the characters in the show, um, and one of them was it Patrick? I think it was, I think Patrick. it was Patrick. Yeah, um, uh, who said that they actually um, they they did a lot. They paid a lot of attention to the way that people were talking in the books and the different kind of modes that people are talking in. Um, and they said that for each of their like primary characters, they, especially when they were like at moments of like, you know, like giving speeches of significance, essentially, um, they thought in terms of separate poetic meters for each one of them. So they, they gave each one of the characters a separate poetic meter and they tried to, to make sure to kind of sculpt their speeches so that they were speaking within that, uh, with that individual poetic meter. And I was like, Oh man, <laughs> that was the moment where like half the room I, turned and looked at me as soon as they said that. I think it was specifically when they talked about the heroic meter that they yeah. were attaching the characters oh, and man. lost it. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, uh, and this it was, was this was twenty four hours after you and Nubeta on the on the coach were were rap battling and talking about <laughs> yes. rap. Like it was just, it was so beautiful. Everybody yeah. knew that Corey was yeah. going to feel feel the feels. Oh man, it was it was awesome. But just the 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 way in which it was it was so delightful to hear that. I mean, one of the things that kind of irritates me most, I think, when I hear people responding to stuff that gets put out and everything. Um, a lot of people have said things like their first reaction is like, oh, it looks like they just kind of threw things together. And I'm like, that is such an uninformed thing to say. 
You know, like just because if you don't get it, like if you don't see the patterns, if you don't see the significance as who would right, in just looking at like one still shot here and there or like a couple seconds in a in a uh, in a in a trailer or something like that. How can you expect to see the, you know, the full like depth and significance in a way, but like to therefore then just kind of write it off and say, therefore, I'm assuming that the people involved in this didn't even do the work. Right. They just they just like slapped together. They made up their mind. Yeah, exactly. And that just it drives me crazy. The attention to detail that they were demonstrating. Right. And just that the mere fact that they were processing this into like that, they have a good enough ear for Tolkien that they know how much like the sound, like the cadence of words matter and the way that he modulates and alters the cadence of people's speech. Um, even to the point of in fact, having them speak what is actually poetry that scans, but even if it's not like set up in poetic, uh, in poetic lines, um, that's a technique that Tolkien uses a lot. And the fact that they, um, were not only noticing <laughs> that that's true in Tolkien, which a lot of people don't, um, but we're actually, you know, thinking we're have, you know, when they were writing the script, we're thinking in those kinds of ways. Now, again, is it going to succeed? Who knows, right? You know, maybe it won't be good, right? Maybe they, maybe they'll be bad the at thought, it. I don't you know, know but yeah, it's the thought process that we needed to hear about, and and it's it's I don't know the cadence that they were talking about. It makes sense to me that the different regions would have different cadences. You know, the same way that I'm American and I live in the UK, there's a very different cadence to the the people who speak here than my own. Of course, I expect that. But when they started talking about the cadence within these individual characters and how it reflects their own personality, and you can see that in any human, you know, the bold ones speak this way, the meek ones right. speak this way. Like right. it was just so deep, but all of it tied back to Tolkien's own work. So yes. it wasn't just yes. like, oh, dialect. It was like, no, the dialect that Tolkien put into this. Right, right. And it, that kind of came out of the discussion that we were having, which, again, was so enormously reassuring to me um, when they were talking about the differences between humans and elves, like different peoples. Like they were talking about how they wanted to capture the flavors of different um, parts of Middle Earth, different peoples of Middle Earth. And they were thinking a lot about that. It was a discussion that I'd been having with uh, several other of the content creators who were there in London just the day before. Uh, and we were asking each other a question like I wonder I wonder how much because this is a this is a, a mistake I think would be easy to make um, one of the one of the differences between the Rings of Power show and the Peter Jackson films that people I think are talking about much less is the sort of narrative frame of reference it's it's almost like the difference between the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings that is who is the like basic point of view character right and the basic point of view character in uh, in the Lord of the Rings is almost never elves, right? Elves are always other from the point of view of the film, right? The film, like the film, like the books, tends to follow the Hobbit perspective, right? Um, now, it's one of my complaints about the films is that they don't follow that consistently, and instead they they mush everything down, right? So instead of being from the Hobbit perspective where you can look up at Aragorn, they have to bring Aragorn down so that we can relate, we can all relate to Aragorn like he's just one of us instead of being, a, you know, a heroic figure, which I think is far more effective. Again, we have the Hobbits for our 
we can we can connect with the hobbits. That's 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 the job of the hobbits. One of the jobs of the hobbits, right? Um, and others, Gandalf, Aragorn, are supposed to be above us. But whatever. That's like one of my Peter Jackson complaints. But think about now the frame of reference in the Rings of Power series, right? It, they're going to be just elf, flat-out elf stories, right? Where the protagonist of that storyline is an elf, and everybody they interact with practically is an elf, right? Um, and so, therefore, the whole kind of narrative frame is going to be different. When Goadriel or Elrond is your point of view character, right? Your your is your primary point of reference as a viewer, then it really changes your relationship with like elfdom with elves mm-hmm. entirely mm-hmm. right so so in this context we were having this we had been having this discussion the day before of like how um what what we were discussing specifically was what i was calling like the fatal attraction of making them too relatable right of of kind of bringing um uh, going too far in bringing Galadriel and Elrond, you know, the elves, basically, into something that we that are who are just like us, right? Like, like Aragorn was made into just one of us, right? With the same, you know, uh, uh, you know, feelings and in, in, uh, insecurities and things like that in the film. Um, in the in this, if they do the same thing with elves, one of the costs of doing that. Um, one of the costs of doing that is that they um, they would lose the otherness of elves, right? There's always there should be a level. If we as human, uh, I'm I hope that's not too, you know, I don't want to be stereotyping, but if we as humans, assuming everyone watching is going to be human, uh, if we as humans are watching this, right, and not um, like we should have a sense of like. I am not like those people, right? I don't think like them. And that's challenging. That's a real challenge because that the assumption, I mean, it's like a built-in assumption of, I mean, does this seem fair to say, Maggie? It's like a built-in assumption of like movie making, basically. Well, that I was going to say it's quite counter to, I mean, you want relatability right. in your primary character most of the time, unless you're creating like a Bruce Wayne Batman situation where it needs to be other. So, if, I mean, generally, like, I did a whole thing about Bella using first person and becoming right. really relatable because everybody's been 17 and awkward and has a crush. Like, right. yes. Right. And Bella in particular, part. you mean in Twilight, right? In Twilight, yeah. Bella in particular is, like, the most perfect example, right? I mean, like, mm. in the book, she is, like, this complete cipher. She is, like, this, like, empty mm-hmm. vessel into which you can pour yourself, right? That's, like, yeah. her entire job as a, as a, as a fictional <laughs> yeah. character. I Pretty mean, much. Right? So... So, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, but anyway, yeah, so it's, um, it's, it changes things pretty significantly, but again, but, you know, so we were talking about, this came up in the context of talking about things like relationships, right? Like, what does it mean to fall in love to an elf and a human? It does not mean the same thing, right? Yeah. Their perspective on life. Like what, what is, what do they want? out of life, right? What are they interested in? What do they do? What matters to them, right? It's not going to be the same. And the fundamental exploration of these two things, right? Of like the differences between these kinds of fundamental like worldview issues, right? Between elves and humans is one of the fun things about Tolkien's world. Like it's one of the things that he had fun with, right? Um, his world almost in a sense begins with the idea of like, okay, hey, let's take... Let's take a, a one-body problem and make it a two-body problem, 
right? We have one rational species on Earth, as far as we know. No offense to dolphins, uh, and um, and then, but like, what if there were two, right? What if we had elves and men? And there are these differences in between, like these very significant differences in lifespan and and everything. What would that be like, right? Great. What kind of stories would emerge? What kind of stories would be elf stories? What would elf stories be like? What would happen when they interact with each other, right? And how would they connect? Yeah. Um, so, and what would be the tensions, and what would be the the struggles of those friendships and those I don't, even legalities of just how yes. would people interact in the same space together? Right, right, exactly. So I was uh, so th- again. This was a discussion I was having. I'm forgetting who I was having this with. I think I was having this with uh, Justin from the One Ring Net and the Prancing Pony people, and Matt from Nerd of the Rings. We, this was at our the that the first uh, night we were there. We were having this discussion, and so when we were talking to the showrunners, um, they immediately, well, not immediately, but they 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 strongly hit that note, and they said like, we want the elves to be different from humans like you should be aware that they are elves and not humans and i was like whew oh okay excellent and then that in that regard then they were also talking about even more local uh texture right and how they want to um you know want to make sure that they're you know doing justice to like the diversity of cultures and places in middle middle earth is a big place right with lots of different cultures lots of different peoples lots of different distinctions among peoples i mean you can't even go like generic elf generic dwarf yeah. you know there are different cultures uh within that and, and not to mention different personalities yeah yeah um so so anyway so and and it was then in that context that they started talking about um going then even further to the individualizing and different and trying to capture that kind of uh like the the poetic meter of their speech uh and i was like one over <laughs> at that point <laughs> at that point i, I was like, like i am putty in your hands <laughs> you're, i feel like you're, that's just such, yeah. like this is there's so many examples like this i mean we were with them for hours but like there was so much that I thought it was going to be like when we went into that room. And for the most part, I thought it was going to be super scripted and very curated and very controlled because this had been the Amazon show and they had schmoozed us through Oxford and all of that. And within what a minute and a half, the woman that was kind of chairing the thing through her notes and was like, I'm just going to let these guys talk because everything they said was not said to be a line. You know, like they, they offhandedly referenced Tolkien's letters and they even said other minds and hands at one point and, and we were like fifth something. Like, <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they quoted the Milton Waldman letter and yeah. quoted the paragraph that the title of the show is from, yeah. And yeah. it was so non-dramatic. They weren't quoting these things to like, ooh, look what we know. It was like, oh, you know, there's that thing and then and then they just went off again. So by the time yeah. we, I mean, all the questions I had coming into it were gone in the first minute. Yeah. Because... They didn't matter anymore. Like it, it was, yeah, very yeah. reassuring. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now, j- to address some of the questions, some of the discussions that are going on here, I see people thinking about Angsty Galadriel. Now, um, th- that's a really excellent question, right? Um, and it is going to be interesting. I think I agree with, um, uh, I think I agree with, um, what Nameless Arcanum was just saying, what angst means to an elf versus what it would mean to us would be interesting. And that, that, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Now, the thing that they are very conscious of, um, which I was very impressed by, not to mention, I think, Nick, 
Palazzo from Silm Film is here. Um, Nick, I was feeling a little smug about this. I was uh, I was doing a little uh, little remote virtual high five towards you and Marie and Dave uh, as they were talking about this because they their emphasis was um, look the elves. They're like, D -d -d they're like you have to remember what happened to the elves in the first age, right? The elves who stayed in Middle Earth are all survivors of the Silmarillion. Like they're also, they've all been through all of that. All of them have seen their families die. They have been, they have experienced very serious trauma, right? And they're, they've stayed in part. Why? Why have they stayed, right? Why are they there? Um, and one of the answers is like, how do you move forward? Like, how do you, like, how do you cope with that? Some cope by going back into the West, right? And just like turning the page, let's leave Middle Earth behind. But those who didn't, how are they coping, right? What does coping look like to them? What is a new, what, what's the point of elves now in the second age? What does the second age world look like? What are they, what are they, what are they trying to do? Um, and where are they coming from? So PTSD, Phil, is precisely the phrase that, uh, that they used of Galadriel. That Galadriel, we're, we're, we're going to be looking at a PTSD Galadriel. She has been, and, and a lot of that stuff, like the stuff that, that, that everybody's gone through, she's going to be the, the primary, my, my understanding is that in the show, she's going to be the primary link to that, the primary memory of that. She's the one who is going to be saying, we have been through a lot, and she's not going to forget, and she's still coping with it. She's still dealing with it. Um, and uh, yeah, Phil, you're right. She's the last of her siblings left on this side of the sea. All of her siblings have died. Um, her father, she's, you know, she's estranged from her father. Uh, she's, uh, uh, she's, her mother is dead. Her siblings are dead. Um, I mean, it's, 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 you know, yes, PTSD. Like it, it makes, it makes absolute sense that like this, this has to be something. Just, I mean, goodness, think how traumatic it can be just reading this, yeah. <laughs> right? As you go through, as the as the first age winds down. Um, well, I also love was the artistry they put into building the world of that PTSD Gladriel as well, because it was it was not just like I don't know, it didn't feel like a writer's room script development. Where's the tug? Where's the climax? Where's right. they were like kept saying it, but I I do believe it. They kept going back to Tolkien. Well, where would this story have worked in if he had written it? Right. And what I really loved was how much they tied and I'm again we can't go into the details of this bit, but like how much they put into how things are gonna be okay at the start, because you have to care about where you are for things to really hit when they get bad. Yes. So we have a hurt Galadriel coming into a healed and happy world. Yes. Ooh, you know. Um, yeah. There's a real discrepancy. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And and it's clear that some of the um, uh, you may remember the reference, which I know the showrunners remember, the reference to the fact that at the beginning of the Second Age, many of the elves thought that evil had departed from the world, right? Um, and so one of the ways in which some of the elves are coping is to say. Okay, let's let's turn the page, right? Now we can be happy now. The yeah. shadow in the north is gone. Um, evil has departed from Middle Earth. We have nothing to worry about anymore. So let's, you know, eat, feast, be merry, and 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 you know, uh, just live happy lives and sing tra la la lolly, um, where it's pretty clear. Uh, from all of the stuff that we've seen, even just from the trailer, it's pretty clear that Galadriel 
is on the side of I'm not okay. Like I'm I'm not okay. Like I I I I'm I'm scarred from what happened and I don't trust it's not going to happen again, right? Um and so she is in the on the clearly on the end of the spectrum of like remaining vigilant even to the possibly to the point of being paranoid right or at least seeming paranoid to other elves who have decided to turn the page and say hey morgoth is gone what's wrong with you um so um so that seems to be one of the tensions that's going to exist there uh in the elf world um this again fuels my uh again i'm hoping that gilgalad isn't the one who's going to get thrown under the bus of like that he's going to be the spokesperson of the like happy don't worry about anything there's nothing wrong you know there's nothing to be concerned about here i'm i'm, I'm hoping that's not going to be gil Gilgalad. i don't have any reason to think it will be but um i don't really know um uh, would Galadriel have actually met morgoth face to face in valinor yes phil um she might have been young um you know i mean i doubt she like sat down and had lots of heart to heart you know heart to hearts with him but yes she would have seen him um i do believe that we're gonna um uh, okay, never mind. I can't say yeah. that. Um, but uh, let me just say, we did see that shot of Valinor, right? Uh, in that still shot, and we were told that that shot was a was a, a still from a piece of footage in the first stage. Uh, so yeah, I think um, she certainly could have met Morgoth. Um, yeah, yeah, but. Um, Anyway, um, so yeah, Nemos Arcano, I think that that tension is really interesting too. Now, here's another one that's also really interesting. And again, this was something, um, this was another, this is another one of those categories of stuff that they got that I didn't expect them to, that I wasn't assuming they were going to get, right? Um, Because honestly, it's not obvious to me that Peter Jackson got this in the same to the same extent, right? Um, Peter Jackson was the Peter Jackson film was good on the elves are leaving, right, and the time of the elves is over and it's time for the elves to depart, right? But what we don't see any real awareness of um, is the concept of elvish mortality, that elves themselves are approaching something like death. Um, that is, we get elves departing. We don't get elves fading mm. in the Peter Jackson films, right? That sense of we're, we're, we're diminishing, our time is coming to an end, our bodies are, are vanishing, yeah. right? And we're, we're you know, the, 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 something like actual, actual um, mortality. This is very much, especially in Tolkien's later writings, this is very much a theme for him. Um, that um, and there's a there's a popular impression, especially among people who just know, like maybe the Lord of the Rings, maybe only the Lord of the Rings movies and a whole bunch of other fantasy stuff, right? World of Warcraft or whatever. But um, a lot of people have the general impression that elves are just like immortal in the sense of being eternally young, always like never changing, and for all time they're going to be exactly who they are and always the same. That was never, ever, ever Tolkien's Middle Earth. Like the whole, from the very initial concept, like from the earliest days of the Book of Lost Tales, um, in that context, what he was describing was how did we get to the world as we are, where the elves have faded and are gone and they're barely remembered here and they've not died of old age. They haven't died out. They're not extinct like dinosaurs. So what happened, right? 
they're immortal people and yet they're gone. Where what happened? Where did they go? And how did they diminish? This idea that some of them are still here, but you just can't see them anymore, right? That idea is there from the very like from the teens when he was in the like trenches of World War One. We can see that idea in the elves, right? And all the way to the end of his career, when uh, you know in the 1960s and early 70s before he died, when he was um, mapping out, doing math to map out elvish aging patterns and figure out how close they get to fading and when their bodies, uh, their physical bodies um, are consumed by their spirits and become invisible and everything. Um, This idea that elves, on the one hand, linger in Arda for the entire length of Arda. Their memories, their minds, their spirits are here and remain here, but that their time in Arda is in fact limited. Right. Mm -hmm. Much longer than humans. And it changes differently. Like aging means different things to elves than it means to humans. Um, But uh, but but it's still like they still they still have a time clock. Right. Um, And again, I emphasize when it comes to Galadriel, this becomes particularly conspicuous, I think. Um, Conspicuous because everyone's been talking about Galadriel's age since the trailer came out. Right. Um, But. um, it's particularly conspicuous because when Tolkien was working with Galadriel's age in his later writings, he was emphasizing her being like retirement age, basically, you know, her being close to fading. Um, she was getting to the point where she was ready to um, not necessarily go into the West, right? But where she was getting ready to um, uh, to to be to be lesser, to to fade, to become invisible. Um and uh, you know that was a that was like a, a serious transition that she was in the middle of doing. Anyway, this stuff, right? This element of elvenness, right? Of elvendom, of what it means to be an elf in Tolkien's world. Um, as I say, I see no, I don't really see much of a glimpse of this in um, in Peter Jackson's films. But these guys get it. These guys get it. They were saying so. They they were when they were talking about themes. One of the themes they were talking about was. Death and the fear of death. You know, and, and, and again, like someone's like, what's the most important theme in the show? And they were like, death and mortality. And I'm like, that was Tolkien's answer to the question. Yeah. What is the primary theme of the Lord of the Rings? Death and mortality. Um, and, uh, and, and they said, they said, um, not just, not just that, um, obviously you've got that in Numenor, right? I mean, that's like, that theme is handed to you on a platter, when it comes to Numenor, right? Their fear of death and their desire for immortality. But then they immediately went back and said, and you know, the elves are dealing with this same thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, in the second age of the sun now, as Middle Earth, the history of Middle Earth is moving toward and they can begin to feel, right? The, you know, we're not yet up against the dominion of men like they are at the end of the third age, right? But even in the second age, they're beginning to cope with like, what's our future, right? What is, what are we going to do? Um, what's our, what's our job? What do we, how, you know, and so, and their own desire for immortality, which again does, if you think about it, map really well onto the three elven rings, right? The three elven rings don't give immortality in the same way that the nine offered immortality to mortals, right? But there is a sense in which the three elvish rings do seem to provide a kind of immortality, an elvish kind of immortality, a let's stop the ticking clock, right? Let's 
put a halt to this whole change business, right? Which is changing us and changing Arda around us, right? What if we could just hit pause on that, right? And keep it from happening. That the, 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 I won't go so far as to say they were making an argument, but the implication of what they were saying seemed to me to be that they were paralleling those two things. Um, that there's a, a sense in which we can see what the elvish rings might have meant to the elves is actually, in its way, uh, and within its mode, similar to what the nine rings would have meant to the humans. Um, and I thought that was completely fascinating. Completely fascinating. Um, and, uh, a, and, and I guess so just that, that, that idea, mortality and the fear of death, would cr- cut across um, the Second Age elves and humans like that i was like yeah i'm and, I, I i i can get behind that and the ease with which they answered that question too was was just yep and then of course they listed other things that you're glad to hear like friendship and loyalty and you know all these other things you're like yeah 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 but they then also talked about their process and how they got this gig and things like that and i found all of that super fascinating just in terms of like industries so we can talk about that in a minute if you want but what they focus on, which is important here, is how much they had to convince everybody that they're the people for this job. And yes. they already were geeks. They already had this knowledge just from being fans and film right. people and all that stuff. And then they became like, you know, quote unquote scholars. They had to know their stuff and they had to be able to bring it to the table and they had to be able to prove to everybody that they were the right ones to do this. Because like we said before, like on paper, they should not be in charge of something this big budget this huge, you know, this, whatever adjective you want. And yet here we are because they proved it and, and we got it in these 30 seconds. Like, yeah, you did put all the thought behind that. Like it was very easy for them to say, we sat in the writer's room and we started every day with the Tolkien quote, which they did say and did happen. Very cool. Very nice. But I would expect that from an Amazon spiel in front of us. Like, yes, we started every day with the Tolkien quote, but then they actually like shared those quotes with us off the top of their head and talked about how they brought that back into the story and used an example like Elvish Mortality to show us their knowledge. And you're like, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what was that's that was some of the stuff that was really, really cool. Um, one of the other things that they said, thinking of more themes and stuff that they were talking about. Yeah. Friendship. I love their emphasis on love friendship that, yeah. um, that I think friendship is such an underplayed um, friendship. In in like films and shows, uh, friendship is like the the like the hick country cousin of romantic relationships, right? Romantic relationships, everyone, everything's about romantic relationships, right? And if you've got two people who are connected by a romantic relationship, then they're like legitimately connected to each other. Whereas if people are just friends, like it doesn't matter, right? Um, And I hate that. Friendship is so important and was clearly very, very important in Tolkien. Um, And um, it's one, one of the things that really annoys me is therefore when friendships get or get basically replaced by romantic relationships whether heterosexual or homosexual relationships sometimes again a, like a, 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 a you know a, a same-sex friendship will be turned into a homosexual relationship and it feels like that's being done primarily because like we want to show that they're like they really love each other it's like what friends can really love each other too like it's and and it's 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 what bothers me about 
more than anything, it's what bothers me about that kind of thing when that happens. Um, this uh, th- I, this is one of the things that I didn't like about them introducing that um, homoerotic subplot in the Tolkien biopic um, with Tolkien and G.H. Smith, right? Mm. Uh, or with G.H. Smith towards Tolkien at the very least. Um, and I, I was like, yeah, no, that's... that's um, we don't need that. We don't need that. Like they were friends. Like friendship is important. Like that. And if that existed, that's fine. But it stays in history because we don't know. So yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, I. Anyway, I just anyway. So like that's that's. So I was really glad to hear that they were, um, connecting with the idea that friendship itself is a really important theme. Um, one of the other things that they, um, uh, that they, um. One of the things that they talked about, which was also very encouraging, was hope. Um, and how, like, yes, it's very important that, um, you know, like Tolkien was uh, unflinching in, like, bringing his character, like, in showing darkness, right? And bringing his characters to dark places and even killing major characters and things like that. Like, bad things happen, horrible things happen in Tolkien stories. And yet, um, the sort of. I don't know if they, I don't think they use the word magic. I think this is my word, but like the, the, the power of Tolkien is that, um, the power of Tolkien is that it can, he can tell a very, very, very dark story. And yet you can emerge from it with hope, not just feeling crushed by it. Um, and, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Meow, you're so right. Hollywood still hasn't realized that a man and woman can be friends. Yeah. That is absolutely yeah. true. Yeah, it drives me crazy. Um, but um, but yeah, anyway, so so I, I, and I was delighted to hear that. That was the moment when um, that was the moment when I think, again, it was Patrick said, don't worry, this isn't going to be Game of Thrones without saying this isn't going to be Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was uh, he was like. This isn't going to be one of those series where, uh, you know, friends are always like stabbing each other in the back and you're just waiting for the inevitable betrayal and like everything is going to like and you know that everything is going to dissolve into horribleness. There's, and, there's no red wedding scene. Yeah, yeah so exactly. He's like, this isn't good. And he didn't he didn't. Uh, he didn't mention Game of Thrones. He was very yeah. sort of professional yeah. about that. But I f- was feeling when I was listening to him, I'm like, he couldn't be telegraphing more clearly. Like this is not going to, you know, yeah. be, you know, have those same kinds of values and approach that that uh, that Game of Thrones does. Um, I did say something about that afterwards, though. You know, because we did informal chat after the screening, and there were lots of questions about like, oh, what are you the most tired of being asked? What are you most yeah. annoyed by? And and they kept coming back to the Game of Thrones comparison and the nudity and the nudity uh, intimacy, yeah, because it's just not part of their focus, yeah. and yeah. it was just all the focus. But again, I think that goes back to what we were talking about with Amazon. Like, well, they didn't release any information, so we had to latch on to the right. minimal things that right. we had. So very natural to yes, to to make a big deal of the very little information that we yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but no, that was one of the things that was most reassuring to me was just like the look on his face, uh, like the look on his face. And he saw he was like that is that with the nudity thing. He's like that is so unfair. Like, it yeah. is so unfair. Um, and that's not to say, like, I'm not saying that he promised that, like, there's zero nudity anywhere, that, like, you will never see, you know, like, human skin uh, in the show. Um, but um, 
but I mean, he was saying he's like, it is like, what was the actual word? Something like it's so much less than like any of those, any of the others. Like it's, it's just, it's not. So again, the, the, the concern that people had, right. That this was good, that they were going to try to do to, to game of Thrones it, right. Like let's, uh, you know, make sure at least one episode, one, one scene in every episode takes place in a brothel with four topless women. Um, that's not going to happen <laughs> that they're not that you know they're very clear that that's not what's going on yeah. um uh to the bottle i go the wheel of time series we they didn't mention it and we didn't talk about it with them um i didn't hear them comment on it at all i do still struggle with how much wheel of time is coming up because it has nothing to do with it you know like yeah new line cinema has made a ton of films like fox has made a ton of films paramount has made a ton of films like they don't talk to each other they're yeah. just all from the same pot of money yeah Oh, yeah, exactly. Paint that with the same brush. Exactly. And yeah, as Nick says, the threshold required for hiring an intimacy coordinator is super low. Yeah. I mean, if anyone is going to ever kiss on screen, they're going to have an intimacy coordinator. I don't know. Would an intimacy coordinator even be involved if there is it just sexual intimacy or is there? No, they could absolutely be involved, especially since Me Too. I think every set right. has somebody on it now as a consultant just to cover their ass. So, right. you know, yeah. I, I don't think it is. So at even all if you're going to have a parental cuddling scene, you would probably want an intimacy coordinator, wouldn't you? I mean, I mean, I don't know these guys personally, but knowing their backgrounds, it doesn't surprise me at all that they would err on the side of caution. So, yeah. 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 So, again, the fact that they had hired an intimacy coordinator was like received as huge news and indication that it was going to be soft core porn. And I'm like, people that no, yeah. that does not mean that. Like everybody um, has that. I mean, it can be used for like, I, I don't know this. Do not quote me, but it could be on Sesame street when two Muppets hug, like you want to make sure the hand placement <laughs> is appropriate. Like <laughs> right, right. really basic. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, One thing I did love about them talking about structure and just kind of how all this works is that they they said they had great ideas and they shared some of them with us about other scripts that they'd come up with. And they had kind of grown tired of the studio system. Like all of the studios had said to them, that's a great idea, but we're not going to do it because nobody wants to see a three hour film on that. Nobody wants to see a two and a half hour film. We want 90 minutes. Here's the arc. Here's the characters. Give me the big names. That's all we're going to fund, you know, max budget of 80 or whatever. Right. And so here they come with these other ideas and they're like, no. So they're like, so we had to change the platform we were thinking about. And all of a sudden this opportunity came up and they continuously talked about it, not as a series, but as a film, as one single 50, 50 hour. hour. Film. Yeah. 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 And that was like, whoa, like I it just the way that you'd be able to creatively change your perspective and engage with a work and be like, I have 50 hours to tell this story. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. very exciting that they were too restrained and they were too restricted and they they didn't like what Hollywood could offer anymore, you know, traditional. So all of a sudden there's a new platform that they could play with. It was yeah. cool. Yeah. And it was it was clear that they I mean their personal feelings when they were expressing their personal opinions about that. It seemed to be that they basically feel that this is sort of like the future of video storytelling. Yeah. Um yeah. uh that the sort of traditional Hollywood studios uh are kind of stuck in ruts and will be superseded, um, you know, by the sort of the newer world where there is more freedom in there. And, and, and I got to say, I love it. I mean, I, 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 I love it. That's, that's the thing that I really, really enjoy about this. It was my primary thing that I was excited about when they first announced it, right. Mm -hmm. Was so glad that we were going to get a 
like a nice full long treatment of the story. You can really develop story in fifty hours. Yeah. Um, it is. I mean, you can you can you can make a good film just like you can write a really good short story, right? Oh, I mean, totally. Short story is a legitimate cool. genre, and some people can tell amazing short stories. Um, but if you want to, but there's a limitation of scope. There's a necessary limitation of scope, and huge stories have been being squeezed into the tiny little. They've been turning novels into short stories for so many years, I'm and I'm so tired of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so tired of it. So yeah, I I I think it's um uh I know Nick uh from our point of view 50 hours is like unbelievably restrictive, isn't it? But I mean, they also said this was potentially just, you know, one one pedal on the daisy. Like right. I, I I don't know if they're personally going to want to because they've been living this for so many years and will be living this for so many years, but you know, I think there's a lot of other things in the works so this is just one 50-hour film. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're definitely thinking about this as... Now, obviously, when we say 50-hour film, it's not like they're... I mean, obviously, they're thinking about things like episode arcs and season arcs and things like that. Like, they know the you know how they're going to be rolling it out and are thinking yeah. about that. Um, but um, but they are, they are not thinking about this. Uh, one of the ways in which this show is clearly different from other shows, right? Another show will think about season one and hope that they'll be returned for season two. Yeah. Right. And maybe can add on some extra stuff. But of course, if you're if you're making a show, you know, if you're pitching a show to Netflix or whatever, and you're you're not going to you're not going to keep anything in the tank. You're going to empty the tank in season one and make it as awesome as you possibly can. And then just hope they bring you back and then you invent something new and hope it goes well uh, in season two. That is not how the Rings of Power is functioning. They are contracted for 50 hours from the start. Like, so they have been thinking their, their whole focus is on the five seasons, 50 hours um, show. They're not just like putting everything into season one and hoping that they'll be continued. Like they are, they are taking their time and developing a full 50 hour story. And if anything, it's, they made it sound like season one was going to, be a lot of establishing and not that there won't be any action like we said there's obviously going to be character arcs and story arcs and season arcs but it was very much setting the groundworks for what's to come because they are keeping an eye on this whole arc and that's what i always loved about the limited series of bbc and stuff when you know there's only going to be six episodes the story is so tight and so strong so the fact that they knew up front it was going to be 10 episodes we assume 10 one hour episodes in five seasons we don't actually know the detailed breakdown yet do we no um, I, I thought i'd heard eight so maybe it's like a, a little more than an hour a double well, episode yeah, in there I've, i don't know i've just been watching the new stranger things and that's an hour and 18 i'm like well, that's right. random so maybe yeah anyway. it, might, it might be something like that. if they had eight like hour and 18 episodes or something like yeah, that then no yeah. work but yeah, just the, the way that they're able to go into that knowing. And one of the questions they got was like, you know, how did you deal with the pandemic and stuff? And they're like, well, you know, if anything, we got to really flesh out seasons two and three. <laughs> so yeah. they spent a load of time, you know, making sure that things happened in one that played out in three and things like that. That right. it's just really fun for, you know, the story geeks among us. Right. Hey, um, so I've been meaning to come back. There's another question. Uh, people have been asking about John Howe, and I've been meaning to come back to John Howe, but let me let me answer Nick's question first because it's more directly related to what we've been talking about. Um, uh, Nick said, I've been starting to think the first season will contain, mostly contain the bulk of the original stuff to get us introduced. Does that seem likely to us? They actually talked about this a little bit. Um, they said that the first season 
the primary goal of the first season is to bring us to understand, like we, we have to understand the world. We have to understand the kid. We have to understand what's at stake. Um, yeah, things, yeah, things are going to come into. So, um, so like, for instance, when the rings of power are forged, what's at stake? Like, why, why would how did they make them? Yeah. They, he, he, the way they said it was, we need to create a, a world and help people to understand why some people within that world would be tempted to make rings of power in the first place. Like, why does that seem like a good idea to them? Right. What's at stake to them? Why does it matter? Um, and, 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 and also there has to be, there's going to be a bunch of things which will be destroyed, right? Eregion is going to be destroyed. Numenor is going to be destroyed. Like we're going to lose all of that stuff by the end, by the very end of the series, we're going to have the last Alliance, right? With Gilgalad and the last remnant of the elves and, you know, Elendil and Isildur and the last remnant of the Numenorians, right? Fighting against so two remnants, right? So lots of stuff is going to be fading and dying and being destroyed over the course of the season. We have to care about it. Right. We have to understand what that is, if it's going to feel like the kind of tragedy that it needs to be. Um, uh, and that this is another thing that Patrick said in the in the lobby afterwards when we were talking about Numenor and we were talking about the time compression. And he said, people have to understand. People have to feel that this is a tragedy. You know, like people have yeah. to be, you know, so like they totally get the fact that like if we're not if we're not weeping not just for the people, but like for Numenor itself, then they've failed in depicting Numenor. Like they absolutely get that that's what is at stake uh, there with, with Numenor. Um, but and the so, detail went, yeah, sorry. Oh, go, go ahead, go ahead. And the detail they went into with us um, about world building, you know, they went off on this tangent about the economics that they learned, you know, how does each of these communities function you know how do they exchange what are their goods like they went down to just such fine details so the world felt real so we were really invested in it and committed and felt the same loss that these guys felt mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah oh exactly so um so yes i do think that the first season um i think with the, i don't think the rings of power are going to be forged in the first season uh, I think that's going to be a second season incident. Um, the first season is mostly going to be to establish like what is the what is going on in the second age? Where is everybody? And what's at stake? What's at stake? Um, what are the um, uh, what are like the, uh, the the different you know pressures and everything? So um, anyway, yeah, yeah. So that I think is is what the first day the first season is mostly going to be. Um, uh, s someone was joking. I forget who this was. Uh, afterwards, that um, the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, is likely to feature neither the Lord of the Rings nor Rings of Power in season one. Um, yeah. But I'm cool with that. Like I, I, I can be patient. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, I agree. Uh, Nameless Arcanum Tolkien was not very interested in economics, and we see him neglecting economics all over the place. But see, this is another ex this is another example of one of the things you just you can't ignore that to the same extent on screen. Like when you have to show a village, right, on screen, right. You know, you can't just be like, and they were in the village. <laughs> like you can see, you can just say that. You just throw yeah. out the word village and let people imagine whatever they want to imagine. But if you're going to show a village on screen, you have to make some choices, 
right? Yeah. What What is the level of technology? What kind of architecture do they have? What kind of building materials are they using? You know, what kind of like, like you have to make all these decisions, right? Um, and so they, and then, they have to. And they have to fit within the accepted Tolkien lore, which these guys worked very hard to make sure it did. Right, right. That it that it does that it does fit uh, in some way. So um, anyway, yeah. So I wanted to um, uh, I wanted to be um, I wanted to address that question about the first age. Um, what was the other? Um, uh, there was another question that was related to this. Thing. Oh, the Harfoots. No, I don't know where the Harfoots are located in the first season, Mojo Dojo. I'm uh, uh, I'm sorry to say I did not ask that question. I don't know if... I mean, there were a whole bunch of questions. One of the things when I was talking to them, I tried never to ask direct what's going to be in the season kind of questions because I knew they weren't going to answer those um, or at least would be kind of evasive. Though some people got answers that were more than I expected, frankly, to questions like that. Uh, they were a little less evasive than I thought they might be. Um, but... Um, uh, but anyway, I was so I was trying not to just like wheedle information out of them and more just like get them discussing things. Right. So, oh, yeah, I remember what I wanted to come back to. I wanted to come back to the time compression stuff a little bit more um, here. The most interesting conversation we had was with when I was uh, when a circle of us were standing around Patrick in the in the lobby um, and the, the time compression thing came up. And here's the thing that he emphasized. He said, um, Nobody experiences a drama like the fall of Numenor, except during the scope of their own lives. Right. So um, to say you can't possibly convey what the fall of Numenor meant is to say Elendil didn't understand what the fall of Numenor meant because he'd only lived one lifetime. Right. He experienced the fall of Numenor. Right and had an understanding of what that meant, right? Even though he himself did not live through the 3,000 years, right? So what, what he was saying they're basically trying to capture in what, you know, through the time compression, despite the time compression, what they're trying to do um, is not just economize, right? It's not just squeeze more stuff into a smaller space, but rather to capture the perspective of the people, like of the characters. So um, it's so rather than trying to capture the historical perspective that like the Akalabeth gives us, right, um, which is powerful in one way, but also less powerful in other ways, right? It's historical summary, right? I mean, it's like an essay giving it. We, we, we're very far from the human experience of the fall of Numenor, right? So another way, and I think a perfectly viable way, to capture uh, Numenor is to do it within the lifespan of a person. That doesn't mean they're like necessarily going to change all of the events and squeeze all of the events from, you know, Elros to, to Arpharazon into one lifespan. Right. But what they are going to do is tell the story of what like to, to, to focus in on the experience of characters like Isildur and Elendil and say and give us the fall. of Help us to feel the fall of Numenor through the lens of their lived experiences. And that seems to me a very sensible thing. Now, he did mention some other like actual compression, like changes that they would likely be making. He was hinting at these. Um, I'm trying going to try not to go too far on this because. um. 
here's what he's here's what I remember of what he said, and then I'll I think I'll tell you what I think is the obvious conclusion from that, and I'm sure you'll see that you probably will say the same thing that I do. Um, he was pointing out how some there are some of the events of the like the major events when you like read the tale of years, right? The major events of the second age um, that are able to kind of be compressed, right? So like for instance, he was pointing out how. There are two wars with Sauron, right? Sauron invades Eriador and has the war with Eregion. And remember how that war ends? The Numenorians come to Middle-earth with an overwhelming force and kick his and like destroy his armies, right? And he goes fleeing back into the east, right? Then, much later on in the Second Age, under Arpharazon, Right, Sauron is building up his armies again and calling himself the king of men, right? And then what happens? Well, then the king of Numenor comes to Middle-earth with an overwhelming military force and confronts Sauron and completely... Um, uh, and Sauron's army don't even fight him, right? They just scatter and run away. And he's taken captive, right? Um, so he was pointing out, like, the repeated... Pat- so he didn't say it, but my conclusion from this is that they probably are going to uh, to elide those two, um, rather than having two separate wars which end the same way, with one Numenorean king coming in with overwhelming force and defeating Sauron, and then the other one coming in with overwhelming force and defeating Sauron, that they're probably going to combine those two things. So that the end of the war um, in Eriador and the war with Sauron, our Pharaoh's war with Sauron, which ends with Sauron being captured and brought back to Numenor, that's probably going to be, they're probably going to combine those events um, in the same, in the same, uh, 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 you know, sequence there. Um, And that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, Now, magical ambient music, I have to say, I just don't understand I don't really understand. I mean, I guess I kind of understand, but I don't understand people's concern about bringing hobbits into the show. You say it doesn't fit the timeline correctly. Why not? We know literally nothing about when hobbits emerged. Nothing at all. All we're told is that there are very few stories told about them earlier on. And Mary complains about that. He's like, we, we do a lot, even though nobody tells stories about us, right? So, yeah, we, we, no, we, there's no historical records existing about hobbits before they were in the Vale of Anduin in the middle of the Third Age. But that's a grievance to the hobbits. There's no, there's, when there is zero indication of how or when hobbits came into the world, there is literally no reason to think that there weren't hobbits around in the Second Age. How can we possibly know whether they were? Again, we know for a fact that no stories were told about them. But that's literally all that we know. It's not even a question it's not even a question of, like, we know the origin story, but maybe they're going to push back the origin story in order to include hobbits, right? Even if that were the case, even if we knew for a fact that hobbits originated in the Third Age, and we knew their origin story, neither of which is true, right? But even if that were true, and they had decided, eh, I'm going to push that back. Let's, let's make the origin story of hobbits, you know, a, a few thousand years earlier. Even then I'd be like, okay, I can roll with that. Like, why not? What do I have invested in that? Like, it's fine. Um, But that's not even the case. We don't even know that. So there's literally no evidence that there were no hobbits in the Second Age. No, it's not. They're not talked about, but that's exactly the point. And this is the one that I thought of when they were talking about the text that they had to work with, because there wasn't obviously a lot of text for them to work with. Yeah. Yeah. They constantly said things like, you know, if 
if we knew that Fred crossed the street, mm-hmm. we could infer there was a reason Fred crossed the street. So we right. could make up the reason across the street for why Fred crossed, you know? So there was all this stuff right. of like, if we know they end up here, it's okay for us to create the story about why they did that. And, exactly. and that was the example exactly. that came to mind. Yeah, yeah. And the other way that they applied the crossing the street thing uh, is saying that, like, if, if we know this, they were also talking about things that they could talk about and things that they couldn't talk about, like rights stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, if yeah, that was good. Um, if because um, basically it's like applying the crossing the street thing in the other way around. Right. If yeah. the story of the crossing the street is in the Silmarillion, well, they can't tell that story. Right. But what they can do is give us the person on the other side of the street just having experienced what they experienced crossing the street. They don't have to, they don't have to pretend like it's unknown what happened. Right. They just can't tell that story. Yeah. Yeah. They just can't tell that story. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Now, uh, let's see another Hobbit question. Um, over Zivoni was saying, um, why are Hobbits Harfoot's, dirty in all of the pictures. Um, I didn't like it in the PJ adaptation and have doubts about it. Now thinking about the Ted Sandyman scene, right? Um, how Sam accuses Ted Sandyman of having no time for washing, but plenty of time for wall propping, right? Um, I, my understanding, um, uh, my understanding is that they, um, they're basically depicting them as a, from what I can see, Stone Age, Maybe Iron Age culture. They flat out said nomadic, right? In the yeah. entire article. nomadic so, hunter gatherer people yeah. is 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 what is what they are. And we also have those new images. And yes, they do look, you know, maybe Stone Age, but with traditions, with you know, finesse, with ceremonies, with I don't know. I I loved the new images because it took them from being bedraggled tree crap in their hair to right. being a real community. Right. Right. I mean, it's clear that the leaves and flowers and berries in the hair is a cultural thing. Yeah, yeah. It definitely, it definitely means something. Um, and we're we'll we'll get back to some of the pictures too before we go. We yeah. this is the first day we could talk about this other stuff. So we definitely <laughs> yeah. wanted to share some of this stuff. Um, but um, <clears throat> but yeah. So I mean, and it's it, that um, you know nomadic hunter gatherer people's might bathe less regularly might be less yeah i I mean sure like they're gonna be out you know hunting and gathering they're gonna they're gonna get dirty um and that seems to me uh i mean one of the other things by the way i've seen um the kind of compliment to that question right is that there have been a bunch of people who have said Finally, fantasy characters who don't look all freshly laundered and bathed every time we see them on screen. As, like, you know, in these kinds of cultures, really, they wouldn't be. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, anyway, so, um, so yeah, I think that that's, um, yeah, there's lots of reasons to kind of, you know, feel different ways about it. Um, Let's talk about John Howe. So we did get to meet John Howe, too. Um, uh, We weren't even allowed to mention that we had met John Howe at first. Um, But we did get to meet John Howe and hear from him a little bit. He actually had his sketch pad with us and showed us that snow troll picture uh, and stuff. Um, But um, I think I think Amazon's 
reaction to our reaction was one of my favorite moments of the day too because they brought these people in we won't name the rest of them but we brought people in and they introduced john howe and we all lost it and i think they thought that would be a reaction for some of the other people and we're like nope (laughs) we just want this guy nope yes there was um uh definitely more um fan squeeing about John Howe than anybody else uh, that day, for sure. And he was Um, so chill. It just fit every expectation I had of John Howe. It was great. And he he brought that sketchbook along, but he said he had 80. Is that right? Some massive number of sketchbooks that he's he's been, you know, making hundreds and hundreds of drawings. It's very clear. He's been very deeply involved in this from the beginning. Um, And it's it's funny to me. I think of all the cracks that I've heard people making about like, oh, it just looks like they're ripping off the aesthetic of the Peter Jackson films. And it's like, well, John Howe's artwork does resemble John Howe's artwork. It's it's certainly true. Um, But um, uh, anyway, yeah. So it was um, uh, here's the stuff that was coolest to me. Um, someone asked John how what he was what like the element of this new project that he was most interested in and what he said was the opportunity to go outside the boundaries right that the Lord of the Rings films were of course focused on the events of the Lord of the Rings which is a pretty narrow axis right you get the Shire you get Bree you get Rivendell you get Lothlorien you get you know Rohan you get Gondor you get Mordor the end, right? And but he's but he was saying there's so much more Middle Earth than that, um, and so he said, you know, in this show we've been able to go way beyond and see new places, not just places like Numenor, which is new, of course, um, but um, he mentioned specifically North and South, North and South of where the action takes place uh, in uh, the Lord of the Rings. It was pretty clear that we're gonna get Harad, we're gonna get. Um, we're going to get the the far north, um, uh, you know. So that was really cool. That was, re- and this, and that also reflected things that the showrunners had said as well about, um, you know, the white spaces on the edge. Uh, not literally the white space necessarily the white spaces on the edge of Tolkien's maps, but as far as again, as far as the the adaptation and depictions have gone. I'd be curious how at what point John Howe was brought on because to me that would be super early he was involved with jd and patrick in the pitch you know the six month trial that they had pitching this mm-hmm. to amazon i would have brought john howe and then to just kind of be like this guy speaks the language we're yeah. about to write a new language but he understands all of the things that came before yes. so like i imagine for an artist that must be so exciting to be like you have all of the medium you need go right. create you know, it's it's not bringing somebody in for a fresh look. It's like, no, 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 this, he breathes Tolkien. Like, and he even said that. He's like, I don't think about what I'm about to draw. The drawing happens and I make it come to life. You know, it was such a, a beautiful artist statement of like, I just put my pen to paper and here comes this snow troll. But right. he knows what would live in that world. You know, it, it was lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it is... I said it was very clear that he is very, very deeply involved in and even hearing some of the things that other people that we can't talk about yet were saying about in relation to him. Again, it was clear that his 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 input was was very was very central. Um, uh, no, Phil Balerion is already ruined uh, in the second age. It's a, that's an end of the first age thing. Um, but um, but there is still some 
um, stuff up to the north. Um, uh, Nick, I like Galadriel's armor. What's wrong with Galadriel? No, we saw too. that, by the way. I saw that. Okay, so well, now something we can talk about because we saw the armor. And we saw the armor. We're to talk about it, so yeah. we got to stare at it. They Everyone's had three been costumes. About yeah. How, yeah, there were three costumes on display there. Everyone was talking about how bedraggled it looked, and we tried to talk about it last week, but now we can actually say, like, because it's armor, you know, because it is war-torn and yeah. has seen a lot of battles, just so dirty and destroyed. Yeah. I, I loved it. I loved it. Um, yeah, we saw the three costumes that we saw, by the way, were Galadriel's armor, including the dagger, which I was really interested to see. Um, uh, Galadriel's armor, uh, the, uh, the, the Sylvan elf whose name I will never remember, um, I begin to fear. The, 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 the green man face uh, yeah. wooden chest plate armor. Into it. Yeah, yeah. We saw, we, saw, we, saw, we, saw, we saw that. We saw um, Galadriel's armor, and we saw some dwarf armor as well. Like what looked like ceremonial dwarf armor. Arondir, marking, thank you. That's the name that I always forget. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Arondir, thank you. Yes, exactly. So, um, yeah, we saw Arondir's armor, Galadriel's armor, and uh, and uh, Prince Durin's armor. Um, and it was, I, I, I loved the costumes. I love Galadriel's armor. I think Galadriel's armor is awesome. Um, it looks, uh, I mean, it's heavy armor. I mean, she has, like, you know, plate greaves and things like that. Um, you know, her legs are, co- are, are covered in, in plate mail, but her top, uh, is most, is chain mail, but it is, as you can see, as we were looking at on the, uh, the empire covers, um, it is used. I mean, it is, uh, uh, it's got, it's got some, it's got some holes in it, right? It is, uh, it is worn. Um, but, um, but anyway, I really, um, I really, I really liked it. Um, how do I think they'll show Sauron take the ring from Numenor to Mordor? No idea, James. Um, I just hope... Brace yourself for this statement. I hope they do a better job explaining that than Tolkien did. It's one of the biggest holes in Tolkien's story. Um, I don't buy either. Um, I do not buy that the spirit of Sa- the disincorporate, you know, the, 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 the disembodied spirit of Sauron that rise from the deep could carry the ring. Mm. Nor do I believe that he's just going to put it in some safe deposit board. He's going to bury it in the ground. Um, I just, I don't believe that in more. Like it's imagining Sauron being like, oh yeah, I've put like my essence into this ring. Whatever. I'm just going to, I'm going to leave it behind. Like seriously, I, I, it's, it's a major plot hole. And it, the plot hole comes from the fact that those two stories, the story of Sauron being taken as a prisoner to Numenor and the story of the forging of the rings of power emerged completely separately. And the Numenor story came first. So he invents the ring of power story and needs to recognize he's not going to change the Numenor story. He wants Sauron to still be the, the captive of Numenor who takes Numenor down or, you know, facilitates it anyway. Um, but he like, and that's just like, it's just a, it's just, it's just a, it's a problem that he never really solved and he makes some faint gestures at it, but I don't find it convincing. Um, Mm -hmm. I find that a serious hole and I will be fascinating. Um, uh, I will be fascinated to see, um, how they, um, uh, how they handle that. Yeah. Yeah. He attached it to his cat's collar. Yeah, I, I, I hear that works for some. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I hear that has a pretty good record of success, too. So, um, But um, anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, other 
things I was going to say. Yeah, that for me, John Howe, it was it was just like hearing his involvement um, mm-hmm. was um, uh, uh, feeling just was was was. And then again, hearing him talk about the other areas of Middle Earth and Casa Doom. That was oh yeah. So um, I see uh, seeing Varking here reminds me to say one of the things that they said right away, which made. Varking Runesong, uh, Will from uh, from Reddit, um, uh, stand up and cheer, was that dwarves are not just going to be comic relief uh, <laughs> yeah. in this story. That they're they they are uh, going. They are dedicated to telling a much more serious story about dwarves and really helping yeah. us to invest in dwarves. Um, and that was really really good to hear. Um, yeah. That was that was very exciting. Um, so uh, and that was it was reflected in some of the footage that we saw, which I really liked. Um, hope that's not saying too much. I don't think so. Um, but uh, but anyway, it was it was it was very that was I was that was another thing that had been on a lot of our minds. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like, what are we going to get out of the dwarves? Um, and it's clear that Casa Doom is one of their um and I think you see one of the things, Maggie, wasn't the number they said six, that there were six, um, world six group. places. Like there's yeah. six separate worlds that they're building within the show. Like, so they're going to be yeah. six center, like plot centers, essentially, um, uh, in that we're going to see. I can't remember if they just said in season one or if they said the whole, in the whole show, but, um, cause of doom is, is one of those, of those six. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Alyssa, I, I don't know how extensive the artist team is other than John Howe. Um, I assume. It's definitely going to be more. Others, but, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but okay, yeah, Varking says he thinks he remembers it was just season one. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, Aaron, I, I will agree that. Um, in making Gimli comic relief, they did it well. Like he wasn't merely a buffoon and it's effective in lots of ways. I mean, comic relief in a film is not a bad idea. Right. And, you know, um, but I think the biggest problem was that it became a gimmick. Yeah. It did become a gimmick. And then as we got the Hobbit films, which was like so much about the dwarves, it kind of lent more seriousness to the dwarves, but like, not really, right? I mean, it was that just kind of fell afoul of the whole way they tried to do comedy in the mm-hmm. Hobbit films, which so they didn't end up making things better at the end of the day, I think. Well, and I, I think I took it a lot more topically than that. It was more of just like, well, good. No character should be one-dimensional. Like, you shouldn't have any character that's just there for comic relief. So it yeah. was just nice to be yeah. like, good. There's going to be some depth. Cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, so Mojo Dojo, don't forget, I believe that at least one of those six areas is going to be in the south as well. So I think we're we're uh, uh, we're going to be seeing. Um, I, I, I'm I'm I've got Harad penciled in my head as one of our six locations. But how far south and, and you know, do the characters involved leave this? I, I, I don't know. I don't know how that plot line goes, but um uh no to the bottle I go I can't tell you more about 
whether about the marriage of the two dwarves because that I what I know I got from the footage that we saw and which I'm not allowed to talk about yet. But and it's not complete. Like the footage we got just doesn't tell. It was a scene. It was a scene. Yeah. Yeah. Like if we told you something, it wouldn't be satisfying either. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. Exactly. Um, But um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so um, I. But yeah, one thing I still don't know is the location of the Harfuts, where geographically where they are and whom with whom they're interacting. So I I just I, I don't know, um, and I will be I will be interested to see. Um, anyway, so um, uh, there wasn't there was another thing. I feel like there was another uh, another thing I've been skipping over or that I need to get to. I don't think it was John House still. Um, uh, don't remember. I've got one I can bring up about uh, a question that I asked JD because all my questions went out the window um, as they were talking because it didn't matter right. anymore. So I was right. kind of scrambling of like, what else can I ask these guys? So I just right. went for the fan management side of things and the creativity side of things. And so I was talking to JD and was like, everyone's going to ask, you know, was Bezos really involved in this and did you have any creative control because we all know he's a lord of the rings fan and stuff like was he there every day and just and he's like he visited set once with his son and that was it because their process was so long this you know trial and audition for six months they were basically given free reign and said how lovely that was in a creative Mm -hmm. space to be able to do that and to have the support and resource behind them to be able to do what they needed to do. So that was, that was a nice angle of it. Also in the middle of this conversation with him, he had to run off to say bye to John Howe because he had to catch a flight and he was like, wait here, I want to finish. I'll be right back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He literally sought me out in that room and was (laughs) like, finish this conversation. It's like, okay. They were, they were, they were, that that was the other thing that I, you know, and I I think we said this before, but they just seemed like really great people. Like, I think they were genuinely excited to geek out with us because like they could hold their own, like, we've said it before any conversation you have with another fan you can skip all that foundational stuff like we could skip straight to the core and i think they were genuinely excited to have that level of conversation with us because they talked so fast and covered so much ground yes yeah Yeah, absolutely Absolutely. um let's ask what did they do to audition for six months yes it was repeated storyboards it was multiple scripts it was loads of different meetings with different people including tolkien family um you know, they they changed arcs, they changed characters, but they did most of the work before they even brought it to Amazon. That it sounds like it was just development by that point. It wasn't mm-hmm. brainstorming. They already did the brainstorming. It was just development after that. Yeah, yeah. But it sounded um, arduous. <laughs> yes, it did sound arduous. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I don't. I didn't get a clear sense for. I I got, I got a, a general sense of how protracted and intensive the process of them because remember it wasn't just them going through this for six months there were like multiple people pitching big projects aragon projects Um, and you know yeah it was huge there was there was there there were lots and lots of people who wanted they also said by the way that there were a lot of very big name actors and actresses who wanted in to this project and they ended up not going in that direction. So um, their choice of 
their choice of more un- lesser known uh, cast, which they generally have, was deliberate on their part. Um, and they they did a lot of um, um, you know a lot of stage actors and and it's you know they, they, they were their process was um, they were not they could have just you know done like the Avengers or something right. and you know had a whole bunch of really really huge names but they chose not to do that and um, it sounds like some of them really went for passion and um, I'm blanking on his name Elrond's actor they were talking about him running salons at the weekend and uh having little yeah. book clubs in the pub and stuff so bringing people together to talk about tolkien on the weekends yeah they, they okay. did mention uh that welcome uh, to our fold what's his name robert um robert arameo yeah uh yeah, robert arameo was uh the biggest most shameless tolkien geek on the on the cast uh and was definitely the one who was like uh getting all the cast together to do tolkien reading group and stuff and like Uh, turning in book reports like it sounded pretty (laughs) yes yeah it sounded totally legit um yeah yeah no that was fun he's and, and and like this was true before even even before this but um uh after hearing this he like robert Arameo is like by far the number one member of the cast I want to meet. Uh, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, but, Man uh, of Pong, I agree. You know, we kept hearing about Christopher Lee reading bits of Tolkien before filming, and I get that feeling with Arameo. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So no, that was uh, uh, that was that was definitely a lot of fun to hear about. Um, but anyway, yeah, to um, Witch King's question about. Um, bringing current politics into the show, they they addressed this very explicitly, and they mm-hmm. they said like we have gone out of our way as much as we can not to bring any contemporary politics into the show, um, and I you know and I you know I see no reason not to believe them on that. I know that um, this of course has been a big you know. A big thing, as many people have. One of the things I think is that people don't. People who are not used to doing interpretation, like explicitly sitting down to interpret things, like we do in the you know this is kind of part of our daily job, right? In the, as lit professors, Maggie, right? And, and so we're a little bit more self-conscious of the mm. process of interpretation. I find right. Um, and I, it's one of the things, like, when I'm responding to tweets, right, who are mm-hmm. like, you know, these people's politics is obvious. And I'm like, okay, like, I wish we had time to back up and get you just to see. Like, I'm not even agreeing with you or disagreeing with you yet, right? But just to try to help you to see how many interpretive leaps you have made in order yeah. to get to that statement. Get to where you right? are. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, and again, like, who knows? Perhaps you are 100% correct in your conclusion, Right. Um, but people don't even realize yeah. the interpretive steps that are going into that. Right. And um, uh, anyway, so whatever, there are, there are lots of people who are convinced, like, obviously, this is like a, a modern political thing. Um, and I, look, it's it's uh, I'm not worried about that. I mean, I'm just not like it's it's I I. I I don't think that um, I'm 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 ready to I'm ready to believe them 
I'm ready to believe them until that's proven wrong. Um, there's loads of research out there about film as a historical artifact. And I, I, I don't mean of like the film process of the time, I mean of the time that it was made. So people are going to assign their own interpretations onto this work. As they no did of The Lord of the Rings did. when it was published. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly no, matter, no matter what we do, it's going to happen. But yeah. the fact that these guys flat out said, that's not my intention. And I don't want to date it. I don't want it to be stuck in, you know, I want it to be something that lives forever. Okay, that makes sense to me. Yeah, it's, it's going to have politics. It's going to have tension because a well-built world should. Mm -hmm. So if, it, if you want to read that as a reflection of the world that we know, okay, I can't stop you. But it's yeah. going to be a reflection of a really functional, no, it's not functional because they're not always functional, of a really well-built world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> function of a well-built world um uh it um somebody asked patrick in the lobby um you know about how much of the how much of the cast are female characters and he said around 50 percent he said mostly because of the people in the world about 50 percent of them are female <laughs> like that's kind of how it works uh so yeah yeah, but that is like, not what is reflected on film. So how satisfying was that as an answer? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and it's it's especially when you get to um, especially when you get to this stuff, like not just. I mean, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings are sufficiently male dominated, right? But then when you get back, like to the published Silmarillion. Um, there are really important and very powerful female characters in the Silmarillion, but um, there's a whole lot of, you know, and this man, son of this man, son of this other man stories mm -hmm. that are going on in the Silmarillion because it has as its origin historical chronicles based on, you know, Tolkien first started writing historical chronicles and, and you know, annals like giving geologic or geological uh um uh you know royal successions and things like that um i mean it's one of the interesting things that i've been talking about as we've been going through the latter volumes of the history of middle earth the post lord of the rings silmarillion revision stuff um you can i am pretty convinced after the study we we've finished our reading of morgoth's ring and we're going to be doing war of the jewels next we're doing um are non-Tolkien. We're doing Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass right now. Uh, but when we finish Lewis Carroll, we're going to get back to the uh, Tolkien and do the War of the Jewels. Um, and what I'm seeing through there is, from Morgoth's Ring, I'm already pretty convinced that Tolkien himself was going back um, out of his way to add female characters, to go through and, and like add back the female characters that would have been there. Like the wives and sisters that don't get mentioned in the Princes of the Eldalia chapter, right? In the aptly named Princes of the Eldalia chapter of the Silmarillion. Um, like, guess what? They had mothers and sisters and wives as well, right? Um, who were they? And what were their stories? Um, and we get some of that stuff. Um, Tolkien goes back and adds that stuff uh, in, uh, in, in later revisions and, and drafts. So um, I do think it's... Um, I do think it's very interesting uh, to uh, to hear about that. So, um, anyway, 
Um, yeah, you're right. Tolkien's Legendarium does approach geological in time, uh, David. Perhaps it's a, it was it was an apt uh, misspeaking on my part. Um, but um, anyway, so yeah, it's um, uh, I, I think it's. But again, this one one of the other things that makes this sort of thing, and by this sort of thing, I'm still referring to like including more female characters, right? One of the things that makes that more natural and more necessary is the the kind the mode of storytelling, right? It's one thing when you're doing historical summary, which is what most of the Second Age material is, right? From thirty thousand feet telling us the plot events of the, uh, you know, whether it's the Book of Ages, which is literally just doing that, right? Or whether even some of the others, even like the Akalabeth, is still basically this same kind of historical epitomizing uh, is the way that Christopher Tolkien describes it. Uh, mode of saying it's easy when you're doing that to just be like and this king succeeded this king and he had these three sons and then this one succeeded and like it's easy to talk about that and pretty soon you're only talking about the boys and you're not caring about the other people who didn't count so much right but when you're showing this on film when we're gonna be looking at a village of Harfoots right when we're gonna be looking at um you know, the 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 dwarves of Khazadum, like a family of dwarves in Khazadum, when we're going to be looking at, um, you know, a council of elves uh, in Linden, you're, you, you, you get inclusive, right? Because you're actually seeing a whole culture. It's why I thought <clears throat> and still think that the character of Toriel was a great idea in the Hobbit film. A great idea. You need to show somebody besides the king. Of the elves, who is the only elf character, well, real elf character. Well, it's the same thing of the guy across the street, you know? Like, yeah. how did he get there? Well, let's build that story. And it probably involved a chick, you know? Yeah. There's probably some women there. <laughs> probably some women involved. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, uh, uh, and uh, Varking, no, so I can't talk much about the dwarf game uh, that's coming up. I am consulting on the Return to Moria game that was just announced recently, and it's going to be awesome, but I can't say much other than that I'm consulting and that it's going to be awesome. Um, um, I, somebody on Twitter just asked me today, they were like, it mentions Gimli Lockbearer. Is that made up? And I'm like think i can't tell you anything but think about it lock bearer that word is used of gimli in the lord of the rings like he galadriel calls him that in the message she sends him from gandalf right so i think it through like it it's all there um anyway yeah yeah, uh, <laughs> lock bearer. Come on now, um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So it it places it. It's fourth age story, fourth age story. But anyway, uh, it's uh, it's gonna it's that's gonna be so much fun. Oh, it already is fun for me. It's soon gonna be fun for everybody else too. Um, but um, anyhow, so um, yeah, I think I think those are most of the things that I've been. Not saying. I know there's going to be more, and I should. <laughs> I'm have sure. Read. I'm sure things will come up too. Yeah, I, I, I will admit. My I, notes before we sat down to this, because there were a more. whole bunch of people who took a lot of notes. Um, you know, we did. We were not allowed, of course, to bring any electronic devices in, um, but we um, uh, we were. We did have like pads and 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 pens. So um, uh, many people took meticulous notes. I did not 
take. I thought it was here, notes. but I did. Yeah, um, I, I did not, and, and I and I did that on purpose because when I tend to when I take notes, I'm often kind of detached from things. I wanted to kind of capture the that experience more than I wanted. Which to. I'm jealous of, but I have the worst uh-huh. memory ever. So if I didn't write things down, it wouldn't stick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we will see. Um, oh, Witch King. So I, I am, I feel 100% confident we are going to see the character who is going to become the Witch King. Like that's, they didn't say that. They didn't confirm that explicitly, but I, based on hints and references, I'm almost completely convinced we're going to see that. Um, I would put the, our odds on seeing the character who turns into uh, the Witch King at about 98%. Um, by the way, are we going to see Galadriel and Celeborn's relationship? Yes. They did explicitly confirm, you know, Celeborn is going to be a character. I think possibly not in season one. Um, he might be a season two or three story. Um, but Celeborn is going to come in. Um, they've obviously um, pushed their marriage forward some, right? They're already married in the second age, uh, in the text, um, which I'm fine with that. I like the idea of having Goadriel and Celeborn meeting and getting mm-hmm. married, being part of the story. I find that kind of interesting and I, I'm re- very interested in that depiction. So, um, I'm very keen to see how they do that and Nick to see, you know, whether they come to the same conclusions that we did or come up with the same ideas that we did in film film about that. But, um, yeah. Uh, did Angmar exist before the third age? No. Well, I mean, not in, uh, in Tolkien's world that was established earlier on, but again, and I don't think they're going to, I don't know if they're going to go that they would want to go there anyway. I think what they would do is take the opportunity to show the East and South to show Rune and Harad, um, and how Sauron is generating and dominating armies from those places. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's, um, we have a little bit of time left. Let's, let's, let's look at look some at, more pictures. Yeah. Can we look at the one beautiful one of the Harfoots and the Haystacks? Yeah. The haystacks yeah, the Harfoots and the Haystacks. Let's look at Harfoots and Haystacks. Okay. So, okay, right. looking through, we talked about the Snow Troll, Caleb Brimbor and his PJs. Um, it's the three girls that look like they're wearing Haystacks. Yeah, the three girls in Haystacks. There we go. Yeah. Um, I just gasped. I mean, like, visually, this is a beautifully constructed image. And yes. just, I think I mentioned it before, just, like, the depth that it gives the Harfoots, it takes them from these, like, bumbling nomadic idiots. And, I don't know, just to me, it gave it gravitas. It gave it community. It gave it tradition. I love it. Yeah. The, yeah, the haystack dresses, the, I don't know, what are those flowers or fruits that are dangling, the yellow balls that are dangling around their heads? Um, I don't know, but yeah. Little balls of twine or... Yeah, maybe they are. I don't know. But yeah, the the harvest festival celebration Mm -hmm. sense of this, we've got a formal procession, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, with our 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 guy, what Sadok or whatever his name is, in the lead, right, with his massive mutton chops, um, and he's got this whole like thatch uh, hat going on there, right, with and his little 
Is it a tool? The most is it of a wheat. wheat scepter? Yeah, like his sheaf on his head, right? And then his his the thing that he's holding like a ceremonial mace or something, right? Which um which seems to have some significance, though it looks like it might also just be a cane, right? It but he's carrying cane, it. But it's got a very pointed end to it, and it has a metal on the bottom, so it's almost like you know you could dig a hole, put a seed in, and put dirt back over it it feels like a tool as much as it is maybe a cane right right yeah yeah um yeah yeah i it, exactly but again it seems to have some kind of some kind of uh you know symbolic or ceremonial significance at least mm-hmm. that's the way he's, he's holding it and the way he's walking right um and then with them behind them they're clearly walking too so th- this is like a parade this is like a village mm-hmm. like some kind of ceremonial parade and um Although he does not look happy about it. He does not look happy about it at all. Now, it's possible that he's just taking this very seriously, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah. Now, I agree that one doesn't, uh, if one is a hunter-gatherer, one does not celebrate a harvest festival. Um, uh, Nameless Arcanum, I, I agree with that. Um, but um, but who knows? Like, one would still celebrate other, uh, you know, things, and this clearly seems to be a celebration. Um, the other thing that I am very interested by are those lamps. Mm. Is it glass? It almost looks like amber. Yeah, I can't. Look at the bottom out. of it. It's like it's like an egg yolk. You know, bits are like yeah. more concentrated than another. Yeah, like, I don't. Maybe it's a, a stomach intestine stretched over a frame or something. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the witch King says the lanterns and dresses are very Arthur Rackham. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting, interesting Arthur Rackham, the illust, you know, the old, uh, early 20th century, late 19th century, um, uh, illustrations of the ring cycle, you know, famous, uh, uh, famous old illustrations. Um, one of C.S. Lewis's favorite childhood books. Um, but uh, yeah, it could be maybe some kind of stomach or bladder that's possible with fire inside it, maybe, maybe. But um, uh, entry anyway. I, I just I was. Um, th- it's one of the things that made me wonder about their level of technology. Right? Was like mm-hmm. how they made those lights exactly. Um, but um, but I agree. This picture is gorgeous. The way the combination of the the glow, the warm glow of the sunlight from behind and the way mm-hmm. I love the way that you've got like the yellow of the like dangling balls on the, on the kids hats. Right. Um, mm-hmm. picking up the yellow of the sun, like almost looking like it's like little suns, right. Hanging on mm-hmm. their, uh, hanging on their hats. But then you've got the, 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 the deeper orange light, you know, reddish orange light of the lamps. Right. To sort of, you know, the way that it seems, I'm almost tempted to be like morning, afternoon and evening, you know, kind of cycle mm-hmm. of the colors between the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the bright yellow of the child's balls and the, the richer yellow of the afternoon sun and the, um, and the, the, the darker, you know, reddish orange Low. of the, of the lamps. Um, anyway, I, I think it's, um. Yeah. And the way it's structured too, you know, I talked about the rule of thirds earlier, like you can absolutely see that with this, with that tree limb cutting across the, the, the line of that earthen 
shelter across the middle the girls about the same height and then you do that again vertically and he is right smack dab in the center of the image with that glowing light source right but, yes, right behind these, his head yeah yeah and we have these soft glowing lamps but it's that like light source right behind him that feeds out into the rest of that image that i feel like draws us in Mm-hmm. And that's what I think this is supposed to be. It's warm and inviting. And look at this party. And it just makes me want to walk towards that center. Yeah. Yeah. And the 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 dark, um, even shadowy earthiness of the bottom right hand quadrant mm-hmm. of the of the picture. Right. Where we have what looks like um, what looks almost like a lean to covered with turf or moss. Mm-hmm. Right. Um uh, and what looks, I think, to be a um, a trough, like an animal trough, and then well, I think it's a workbench. Is it a workbench? Oh, right. Yeah, maybe a hammer or something on top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Namus Arcanum. I'm. I feel certain these are stills. Um, the shots they've been showing have tended to be stills, and we have. Um, We've seen, I guess, as I said, we've we've seen at least one um, scene in like, from which one of those stills were taken. I, I feel pretty confident that these are stills, hmm. um, not just promotional photos. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Is that a wheel, Phil? I'm not sure where you're looking. I see one round thing, but I don't. It doesn't look like a wheel. It just looks like a basket or. Um, oh, in front of the workbench, in yeah. front of his foot. That's yeah, yeah. A wheel, like a wheelbarrow wheel, maybe, or a millstone. Oh wait, yeah, I see it now. Right, yeah. right at the end of the bench. Mm-hmm. Yes, that does look like a wheel because it's wooden, so it wouldn't mm-hmm. be a millstone because it's too no. light. Um, yeah, probably is a wheel, mm-hmm. solid wheel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, but um, but yeah, I, I, this is such a fascinating thing. Even like, think about what it says about their culture that they have ceremonial dress, mm. right? I mean, that's kind of like a that's a that's a non um, uh, a non trivial thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like if you have garments that you only wear occasionally on special, it's 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 a pain to schlep those around. Right. Well, I, mean, I assume, or or they're made, you know, or they're made special for the occasion. Down. Which, but if, if to if which you have to dedicate a lot of time. I was going to say time, and like this yeah. is not a community that has a lot of free time. They work really hard, so to be able to spend that time creating a costume for a festival, it, that's probably the highlight of their year to be a bit fun and fancy free. Yeah. Yes, and I um I definitely do think that the children are. Those are children dressed up. Yes. Those are, I believe, meant to be Harfoot children. As we've seen in proportion, the taller guy at the center is still short. He's still hobbit-sized. Yes. So those are, I do, I believe, are Harfoot children that we're seeing there. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it, it, it does speak of a certain advancement in culture. Aaron, I agree mm-hmm. with that. Um yeah, I mean, if we look at some of the other Harford pictures, okay, so here, well, let me go back. Where was the other one? No, I'm not getting mm. it. Uh-huh, okay, there's one with Nori and those maps that we were seeing. Um, 
by the way, this, what is it? Desk? Table? Oh, I thought Whatever. it was a cart. Cart? Maybe cart? Maybe cart. Well, it's um, uh, sort of an interesting construction. We can see there's... Um, they have they do a lot of carpentry apparently, right? This culture, but they don't, um, but they don't do a lot of finish, right? Well, I think you're right about the desk. If you zoom in, there's wax stripped all down it, like candles melted down. Yes, it looks like those were like you can see candles were placed on either side, right? Mm -hmm. um, yes, yeah, it mm -hmm. does kind of look like that. Like perhaps, yeah, I don't know how it works, but um, yeah. Um, it does look like a hinged support, like it can be folded out. Um, I mean, it looks like the reverse of it is, you know, if you walked around to the other side there, is where you would have the flat surface like a lectern or something. But then the candles are down behind it, which doesn't make sense. Maybe it, or maybe it is a cart, and the, maybe the desk is loaded onto the back of the cart, and maybe. the front of it's actually the other side. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Um but uh, it's, yeah, them. exactly. Alyssa says it's a cart that can fold out into a desk, into a desk. maybe, which is really right? interesting, right? I mean, like, look, a nomadic people with a desk, really? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, that's that's non-trivial, isn't it? Um, uh, so yeah, that's that's really that's really interesting. But again, the, her clothing, right? Look at her elbows, right? This is yeah. somebody who does not own an infinite number of shirts. Right. right. I mean, this shirt is somewhat worn. It's It's been patched, right? It had a hole, but a patch of fabric was put on the inside there, right, to keep it intact. Um, but of course, you're going to keep wearing it until it absolutely wears out because textiles are, and this is woven textile. Um, mm -hmm. As we saw on all of their, we, you know, rough woven textiles is what we saw on everybody, all of the Harfoots that we saw in the earlier pictures. Um uh, to the bottle I go, I would have to assume that some of them do know their letters in some sense, right? In fact, if we look at the left hand, like the further inside scroll that we can see there, doesn't it look like single characters in rows? Like they're these big characters. So I'm mm. looking like, so right there, we see these big characters with what look like lines in between the rows. Of yeah, characters like, if we rolled it up? Like runes? Like yeah, like runes. I mean, and I'd, I'd, I'm, I'm like, is it... Um, yeah, I don't know what it is. But is it is is there... Um, is that a message? Is it mm. even like a teaching document? I don't even know. Um, um, yeah, uh, Ravenwolf says, watch the only writings be genealogies. Yeah, that would be awesome, right? Yes, we have learned writing just in order to keep track of our family trees because yeah. we're Harfoots. That's, yeah, that would be... A, um, that would be awesome. Um, I wonder if we'll see a scene where all of those scrolls burn because we have no stories of the, the hobbits. We have no, have no stories. Yeah, yeah, nothing survived. That's it. That's it. It's not hard to make nothing survive from this yeah. kind of distance. Um, but, um, okay, here's the other one I was looking for. Um, so I suspect the guy on the right is Meteor Man. Um, he is, huh? Familiarly known to us. Familiarly now. known as Meteor Man. Man. Yeah, I believe. Maybe not. Maybe that's just a Harfoot dude. Um, 
Because so I'm trying to. I've, so this is what I've been trying to figure out. Who's he walking next to? Is that a kid? Maybe it's not yeah. Meteor Man. That looks Maybe like a not, kid. Because if that's one of the, is it even one of the same kids? Kind of looks like the one in the middle. No. Yeah, and look at the acorns in her hair. That's the size proportion. That's definitely one of the kids. So maybe okay. he's just a Harfoot as well. Maybe he's just a Harfoot, and he's yeah. he does look like he has. He certainly looks Harfoot. Inhuman Hobbit feet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah. So that's just a child. I was thrown off by the proportions. Yeah. Okay. And Poppy is fully grown. The one who's pulling that first cart. Um, that's clearly mm-hmm. Poppy. But the look um, on her face is great. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. By the way, my hunch is that Poppy is our comic relief. But um, mm. uh, uh, anyway, um, anyway, so Poppy, um, who's pulling the cart there, she looks like she'd be taller than that kid. So that's it's just a, a Harfoot child he's walking next to. I think she's pulling a person in there. That looks there... like a little carriage. You think so? And Maybe. if you zoom way in, there's like... I don't know, a blanket or something inside, like hmm. a ginormous baby carriage, but I don't think it's a baby she's carrying. Here, let's see. I don't know. Okay. I did. Um, There's definitely a dome. Get There's some an zoomable the picture, picture, zoomable versions here. So let's see. Uh, okay. So in here, um, it looks like a, I mean, I, I see what looks like a cushion in there. Right. Um, but it's not a, a, a contraption for carrying things. It's for potentially carrying a person or a child or, you know. Yeah. Could be a kid. It's a pretty big contraption for one kid. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be really traveling Heavy. style. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting. interesting that they have no ponies or anything, mm. right? They've got, they clearly have wheels, right? But they don't have like animal domestication. Um mm-hmm. Uh, they can hunt moose and take their antlers, but right. But they haven't domesticated dogs yet or <laughs> horses. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, not sure about that. But yeah, so then I was that helps me understand because from this picture, I thought the girl he was walking with was a full-grown Harfoot, which I thought that meant he must be human and therefore Meteor Man, but no, right. And here, that makes more sense of this picture where they're standing next to each other and he's taller, but not that much taller than them. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. Okay, and that's... Yeah, I think think that is him. Yeah. Is that the same man? I'm I'm pretty sure this is the same guy. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. pretty sure. Definitely a Harfoot. Um, yeah, I agree. Definitely the Harfoot. Um, it's true, Aaron. Maybe someone stole their ponies. Maybe someone ate their ponies, which happens surprisingly often, especially in The Hobbit. Um, but um, uh, this is another one of those places where we can see the um, the stuff in the hair. This is not just I've been rolling around in the bushes and have stuff caught in my hair. Right. This is uh this is a fashion cultural choice. Fashion. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, a cultural thing that even, you know, men as well as women do this. Right. Um, and interestingly, 
from the from some of the Harfoot lasses, like this one in the middle, who kind of looks like Nori, but I don't know that it is Nori. Is that Nori? I don't is know. That, I don't think so, but I can't tell for sure. Maybe it is. Anyway, um, uh, from some of theirs, some of the Hobbit lasses, it looks like it could just be um, like a wreath, uh, you know, like a like a like a you know. A sort of a crown that they make um, and then rest on their heads. But from his here, it's very clear that it's like, I don't know, stuck in somehow, right? That it's, mm-hmm. uh, um, and yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, more kind of woven into the, more kind of woven into the hair. And Phil, hunting camouflage seems to me like it would almost have to be part of it, right? Or at least mm-hmm. a sort of, Makes sense. At the very yeah. least, a kind of like a cultural tradition which retains the memory, you know, of that kind of a, a, a hunting culture. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that seems to me to to make a lot of sense. Ah, notice the tooth tied to that. The, this is stick guy. See, mm. he's holding the stick with that mm-hmm. tooth tied to it. Yep. That we were debating whether that like is that an is that a weapon is it a uh-huh. is it a tool is it a that's him that's huh. his that's the that that's the stick that he's holding there no is to he holding it here yeah there's his, it's his staff there he is there's the tooth tied to it up there um yeah okay I'm cool. and I agree yes it does look like he's wearing some kind of kerchief yep yep. Um, yeah, no, I agree, Man of Pong, that um, having stuff like this in your hair might help you both to hunt or to hide. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, that is, that is interesting. Um, the Linden picture, always what I presume to be the Linden picture here. Um, Is that Celebrimbor making the yeah. toast? Uh, yeah, I think so. Looks like him. I'm just Looks thinking tonally, like how big of a shift is this from what we were just looking at? And that's the kind of stuff that I'm getting excited about with the stuff JD and Patrick were talking about in the world building that you then see these two images and you're just like, yep, these are two incredibly well-developed worlds, beautifully shot, beautifully composed. And this just looks so much more serious. So I feel like you could see the thousands of years that went into this kind of gathering. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I think it might be. I think that that might be Gilgal out on the far right. Looking a little frumpish in this picture, yeah. if it is. But it might be. He does seem to have a crown on. Um, it's definitely Calibrate Bar. That's definitely Celebrimbor. And Elrond on the left. Right. Elrond and then Durin on mm-hmm. the far left. So we've got Durin visiting, looking with some uncertainty at his wine glass. I feel like yeah. Durin's wife is next to Elrond on the other side. Maybe. The one that we can't see because she's behind Yeah, you the... can just see the corner, but you can see... Oh, maybe not. Oh, it's tough to tell. Yeah, the one who's sitting... Um, uh, yeah, it's that, that's the thing that I find 
the obscuring of that person mm. was the element of this image that I found most perplexing. Um, it's very mysterious. Yeah. Who, who is the one who is on the one hand, like the very center of this image is somebody we can't see. <laughs> right. That's the thing that's, that I find so strange about this image. Well, then um, that makes me think it's, then that makes me think it's Galadriel then. I, that would seem to me most sensible. Yeah. Um, that would seem to me most sensible. I would think probably this is Lyndon, not Aregian, Phil, just because, I mean, it could be either. We've got, if we have both, like if we have Elrond, Gilgalad, and Celebrimbor all there, it could be either one. Um, but I think probably Lyndon, mostly because, um, mostly because if that's Gilgalad on the right, he's, um, uh, he's sitting at the head of the table, um, and this seems to be that sort of table. Um, we talked about sort of tables and what it means to sit at the head of the table and everything uh, when we were doing our reenactments last year at Mythmoot of um, uh, the seating arrangements at Elrond's Feast for in Frodo's honor in Rivendell. Um, but um, uh, anyway, um, so... Yeah. Anyway, so but but this is that sort of table which has a very definite head and foot, and to mm. have Gogo out on one side and Prince Durin on the other side, that would be another seat of honor that Prince Durin is is getting there, um, and that would make sense as he would be within this context. He is clearly the visiting dignitary, visiting mm-hmm. dignitary, right, Prince of Khazad Doom, so um, that he would be placed at the foot opposite. Gilgalad like that next to Elrond um, uh, makes all makes good sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but who is the person in the middle, the central mm. figure of this entire one? And not only the center of the picture, but the center of attention. Elrond and yeah. Celebrimbor are both looking mm-hmm. at that person. Right. Um, so their faces are turned inward towards the person that we can't see. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, toasting them. Yes. Yes. Kelbrimbor mm-hmm. seems to be toasting him. Durin, well, Durin's not toasting as so much as inspecting his glass, right? <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I could be Durin the third. Okay, could be, you know, King Durin. Um, I doubt it, though. Um, I don't think so. First of all, that hand. I don't know. Doesn't it look like the person is wearing something? On their mm-hmm. head? On their head. Like, it does not look like hair that we're seeing. I see an no. ear. It's like a ceremonial head. Some kind of cap something. of some sort. Shiny, bejeweled cap or something is what it looks like. Um, yeah, Goadriel in fancy dress seems very likely to me. I, I think Goadriel, I think, has, has got to be the presumptive favorite to, for being yeah. the one who's in the center there. Um, but... Um, the fact that we can't see her is again, it's, it's obviously a very deliberate choice, right? I mean, to give us an image like this. Um, okay. Here's another thing that I find interesting about this image. The lamps, the lamps are almost symmetrical and almost balanced, but they're neither Mm -hmm. right. We have that one central lamp, which is just off center. And we've got 
three lamps, three full lamps on either side. But they're again further on the on the one side. And then we get the fourth one, the bottom of the fourth one, right? So we have three and a half lamps on the right hand side and three like the, the asymmetry of the lamps is really interesting to me, especially given how symmetrical the rest of the the whole, like the the entire table image is extremely symmetrical um, and provides us with a very precise center of the image. But the whole top half of the image is dominated by those lamps and those lamps do not obey the symmetry of the bottom half of the picture. And it gives me a very um, unsatisfied... Uh, even again, this this picture makes me nervous. Like Ooh. I feel like something bad is, uh, is is about to happen. Like I I I I, it, I feel like there's there's discord here. There's tension mm. here. Like the, this picture is in tension with itself. Like the symmetry of this picture is in tension with with itself. Um, it um, it makes it gives me a creepy feeling. Um, see, I don't get creepy, but I, I completely hear what you're saying in terms of construction and composition. But I, to me, I took it more of like. The elves are kind of hippies, and this is a bougie Moroccan lantern <laughs> display in an otherwise very regimented world. Yeah, I yeah. I don't know. And there's yeah, like even the I don't know what's up with the veiled women in the back. They look like servants. Mm. Even notice how symmetrical they are. Yeah. Symmetrical in position, symmetrical in dress, symmetrical in posture. Right? They're yeah. exactly everything is pointing to the center. The only other thing that's off center are those two women in the background on the right-hand yeah. side. But also, notice, they're swayed on the right-hand side, right? So the picture leans to the right, towards Gilgalad, and away from Durin, and I wonder if that's the tension mm. there. Um, I wonder if this is a, uh, this dinner is like part of a elf-dwarf summit meeting, which might not be going particularly well, or which might be, I, I don't know, I don't know. Mm. Um, but that, that's what I'm, that's what I'm, that's what I'm feeling. The two in the background, maybe they're statues. They're colored very realistically. If so, no, they look like real people. I think they're real people. If you zoom in again, they're musicians, I think, or performers or something. Because like one has this crazy headpiece on, right? Right. And the other one seems to be holding something that I thought was a harp. But again, it's blurry even when you zoom in. And there's a third one behind the Galadriel, so we think. There's another one behind her. Oh, right. I see it now. Yeah. But I can't With, really. Yeah. I mean, right, yeah, maybe she's holding an instrument. The one sitting down, I can't tell what she's holding, but she seems very uncomfortable in her Right, head that looks like it, it, it could be a, like a little harp or something. Yeah, something. Yeah, that she's like resting against her shoulder there. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would love some very high resolution versions of these yeah. pictures, but, um, get them soon. but yeah, I, I, I agree. Which King, I think maybe that was, um, I mean, I said that, uh, Gilgalad looks pretty frumpy, but, um, but it's kind of worse than that. He, he does not look happy. Um, look at how his, he's slumped. Look at his posture. Um, how he's sort of slumped and leaning forward. Um, he looks, he looks, he is sitting in that, yeah, he has a troubled brow. Um, yeah, so uh, Ravenwolf, I am not expecting Anatar in season one. Um, I, again, I think it's too soon. Um, I think we're going again. We're going to be. 
I believe we're going to be shown what's at stake first. Um, and so like this kind of thing, like we need to know this. We need to understand what are the relationships between dwarves and elves, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm gonna so... Forget, Corey, sorry to interrupt. Um, I hear a screaming oh, baby. Oops, I'm, yeah, I'm we're tap, at time. I'm tapping in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, and I think... Well, there's that one. He's got a cool knife, but there's not too much to see there. Action sequence of him and the kid who finds the black sword... Right. Aaron Deer, whose name I'm going to strive to remember. And the humans he ends up with. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bye, Maggie. Thank you. Sorry. I'll say, Bye. That's okay. No, I, I got to go too. Um, uh, so I will just wrap up and say thanks, everybody, for joining us. There's more we could uh, uh, talk about and look at here. Um, we're going to be having some more guests coming up soon, um, looking at some more questions uh, about... Um, not just about adaptation, but of course, you know, one of the things which for me is so interesting in thinking about adaptation as we've been doing are the ways in which, like, the more you think about adaptation and what adaptation means, the more it helps you to think about reading and what reading means as well. Uh, and that's one of the things that I would really um, like to talk about more moving forward as well. But we'll get to it. Thanks everybody for joining us today. Uh, it was really fun to share some stuff and, uh, uh, talk about things, um, and look forward to more discussion next week. So thanks everybody. Thanks everybody for joining us. Bye now.